pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast, number 467, Stage 2, Non-Functional Play in Stages of Play for Toddlers and Preschoolers with Language Delays, brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, where we're the largest provider of ASHA-approved CEUs for early intervention. If this is your first time to join me for a podcast here uh, at Teach Me to Talk's YouTube channel, I want to tell you what you are watching. Uh, Each of my podcasts is actually a continuing education course for therapists. So because of that, this video will be about an hour long. And we are so excited that we can continue to bring uh, these professional courses, even for parents here on YouTube. And if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel already, please do that. We are so, so grateful for your support. All right. So today we are continuing our Stages of Play podcast series, and we're up to stage two, which is non-functional play. So for therapists, you can get your CE credit for this course at my website, Teach Me to Talk. The show number is 467, uh, and this will include your CE credit and your handout. And so we've also, uh, last year, started an option so that parents could also purchase the handout or the show notes for this course. And you are going to want to do that, even if you're a regular listener and don't usually do that, because I'm giving you super specific strategies that I know that you're going to want to Uh, have, and I'm actually using the same terminology that I do in my therapy manuals for a whole section of this course called How to Play and What to Say, and I think that's so, so important. So if your child is in this stage of play, and you're, or if you're collecting the whole series, I know you're not going to want to miss the handout for this show. Uh, Purchasing the handout is also a wonderful way for you to support our work here at Teach Me to Talk, so please consider doing that. Uh, You can do that for $5 or any other amount that you would like to give. All right, so let's talk about the course layout for this series, we are taking a very systematic look at each stage of play that a baby enters from birth all the way up to age five. And we start with the developmental age range for each stage, and that's a really important concept that I'll explain when we talk about today's age range. And then we're going to talk about both the play skills and the language skills that we expect to see for a child in this developmental period. And then what we're going to do is match the activities and strategies with those play skills and with those language skills. And then I'm going to share the recommended toy list with Amazon links so that you can uh, beef up your own toy closet, whether you are a professional or a parent. Uh, I'm also going to be doing some demos with the toys toward the end of this course so that you can see some of those. And then we'll talk about the scripts. Or Again, that's the how to play and what to say part so that you uh, can begin to build some really fun routines to teach language. I love this series. I'm so happy that you're joining me for this. If you're a parent, this will probably change the way that you play with your child and you think about your your interaction time or your therapy time uh, there at home. If you're a therapist, I know sometimes we know all of these individual pieces, but we don't always know how to put it together. So that's my goal for this podcast series is to really help you get super specific with how you teach play, how you teach language, and then merge 
those together and that provides such a nice comprehensive treatment approach. So that's our goal for this podcast series. So today we are looking at stage two non-functional play. So all the information is on the handout. So if you've purchased the handout already, please feel free to follow along. All right, remember we said we're in the second stage of play and this work, the work that I've put together for the series, and actually I've been talking about stages of play for a long time and we've usually incorporated that within other podcast series. But now we're taking just a deep dive and looking at the whole uh, the whole scheme and the whole development of play throughout toddlerhood. And this work is really based on Dr. Carol Westby's symbolic play scale. So if you're looking for an EBP reference, that's the one for you there. So what is the age range? We're up to stage two. So we really chronologically, if we were looking at a baby with typical play and language skill development, that would be between eight months and 12 months. But we also really, really know that older toddlers, older babies, toddlers, and even some preschoolers with significant developmental delays will still be here in this developmental period. And that is so, so important to know. And let me tell you why. We talked about this back uh, in the previous show, which was 466 back in stage one. But I want to remind you again, when we begin to work with a child on play skill development and especially language skill development, we have to meet a child where they currently are or by that I mean that we have to begin with what they can already do sometimes as adults whether we're talking about a therapist or a parent when we start to think about oh this child is not talking yet we start working way up here at talking when there may be lots of uh, prerequisites along the way that that child has not mastered and so and sometimes again we focus really where we are, uh, where we're working developmentally with a goal, again, and rather than where the child currently is. So there's just too much ground to cover there. And so we, ha- we start working with the child at the wrong place. And so no wonder sometimes we spend weeks or dare I say even months at the beginning of therapy kind of trying to find some traction and get some progress going. And that almost always means that you have started at an an inappropriate or a level that's just too high for that child so it's unrealistic and so anytime that's happening to you as a therapist whether you're a speech pathologist like me or another kind of therapist really really think about that when you start with the kid at the beginning and if you don't start to see incremental steady progress there's something wrong with the approach there really is you've got to back it on down so that you again can start to make some gains and I'll tell you the easiest way to do that is to always start with where a child currently is. Um, For example, and I've used this example a lot, but I'm going to use it again because I think it's so uh, just spot on with what we need to say and know here. That's like when we get a child who is completely nonverbal in speech therapy and then immediately the very first session we start working on words, words, we've got to get him to say words without any regard for how he can imitate, without any regard for his receptive language skills, without any regard for play skills like we're going to talk about today. So in that situation, we're not going to make a lot of progress because we started in the wrong place. So that's my my soapbox uh, uh, message here for this podcast series. And that's what we're really, really striving to do here is help you find that just right place to start and that first little set of goals so that your goals are not too hard. All right, so we have to begin where that child is currently functioning and I'm gonna teach you how to figure out where that is. Uh, And the handouts again will be a super, super tool for you to have to be able to do that. 
Okay, so for stage two, let's begin with our systematic review. So what play skills are we looking at in stage two? Remember, this is right here on your handout. So let's take a look at this now. So play skills for stage two, what does this look like? So here, a child decreases mouthing and new actions with objects emerge. And these are really simple, basic actions because remember we're talking about children who chronologically are just in that eight to 12 month period. So even if you're working with older toddlers or even again, preschoolers with those pretty significant developmental delays, don't let their, their body size get you off track here. These are still gonna be really, really simple motor movements. We're talking about things like banging, patting, turning or even throwing. So this stage is really an extension of the exploration stage, which we talked about back in the previous show for stage one. But now a toddler is going to begin to use the same kinds of toys and the same kinds of activities that we recommended for stage one, but now it's going to be a little more purposeful. And so remember what we said about stage one, what were the primary movements or actions that a baby or toddler used with a toy when they are still in stage one? They primarily what? They're using all their senses. So we think about they mouth the toy, they listen for sounds, they look, they grasp, they reach, and they release. So here in stage two, uh, the motor movements are going to get a little more refined and we want mouthing to decrease. But remember now, mouthing is still developmentally appropriate until the child is about 24 months old. After that is the point when we should discourage mouthing. So if you're working for with a three-year-old who is still really, really uh, orally fixated with a lot of toys instead of saying boy he's three he's too big for this we've got we've got to get this stopped and again as a parent and a therapist I know you've said that or thought that but honestly guys if their developmental age range is still down there at 12 to 18 months they're going to do it because that's just where they are so here uh, I wanted to mention that so here let's talk about the motor movements that we'll see refined in stage two like we said, they're more intentional, so more purposeful. So instead of taking a rattle and just reaching for it or holding it and looking at it, mouthing it, so now what might a child in this eight to 12 month range do with that same toy? Uh, here we're gonna see something again a little bit more complex. So maybe uh, instead of that play scheme where mouthing was the primary thing, they looked at it a little bit right to the mouth. They you know held it right to the mouth. Here it bumps up so they might try to shake it and then still mouth it a little bit, but then maybe they'll take it out and look at it a little longer maybe they'll start to transfer it to the other hand shake it in that hand we might even see some intentional dropping where it's not just dropping because they've released it from their hands but they're dropping and then say they're in the swing they're looking over the side of the swing to see where that rattle falls and so again little bit more purpose here they may even try to take the rattle and bang it on the side of the swing or bang it on the floor. And so let's talk about our guys that we might see still in this age range. So let's say that we have an older toddler, but he's still developmentally in this eight to 12 month range. What might he do here? Same kinds of things that we talked about with the toys. Again, the padding, the turning, they're really simple things. But now he might take objects that he's been exploring. And now because he's more mobile, he can walk. He might put, put all of those objects in, say, a metal mixing bowl. And then walk over to another location, sit down, dump those objects out, and then begin to look at them all again and explore them all again. And again, he may not have the maturity to do some different things to really use the toys yet. Because remember we said we're in non-functional play, meaning, hey, I'm looking at the toy. It's it's more than I did in stage two, but I'm still not to the point that we're going to get to in stage three where a child is really, really playing. And so again, here at stage two, there's no 
real playing going on yet. But for those of us, again, who are working with children who are uh, developmentally in this age range, but chronologically older, there may still be some mobility things in there and some other things that they're doing, but we've got to really isolate those play skills so that we are looking um, at what they're really doing with those objects. And so again, we're going to be looking at really specific toy use here. And so one of the other things that happens in this uh, developmental period in stage two is that a child becomes interested in and explores toys by concentrating now on the moving pieces. And so they're not really looking at the toy as that big individual thing anymore. They're really getting more specific. And so they notice those moving pieces. Although here at stage two, they may not be able to operate toys even when they're intensely interested in it because still cognitively or motor-wise, they, they still have to mature and develop a little more. But they are using different actions. They're not just a mouther or a looker or a listener or a holder anymore. Now they're adding other things. And like we said, they're still pretty basic, patting, shaking, banging, turning, throwing. And so, but we want to see a child use these objects on multiple objects and on uh, just different play schemes. So it's not just that he shakes the rattle. He tries to shake the ball. He tries to shake the block. He tries to maybe even shake the book or the nesting cup or the car. But you see that new motor movement carried out over a variety of different objects. Now, while all of this going is going on with using objects in more specific, more almost functional ways, there's another really important process happening here at stage two. And based Babies here begin to develop important cognitive concepts. Now there are actually four. Now if you've heard my previous teaching, I used to just talk about three of these, but I've added a fourth one. Uh, so the first one is object permanence. The second one is means to an end. The next one is cause and effect. And the last one is very simple problem solving. So let's quickly define each of these and talk about how to assess these, especially uh, if you are a parent and you think, I don't know if my child understands this. Uh, I'm gonna give you the little test that you can use for that. So let's talk about the first one, which is object permanence. Now this means that a child is aware of objects even when those objects are not visible. So he's remembering, he's holding that mental picture in his mind. And that is a significant cognitive jump uh, for a baby when they, when they lose something and it's out of sight. And that's good for us as therapists and as parents because we like to be able to distract a child by removing things. But at the same time, we want him to be able to hold onto that. We also want him to associate an object with a location. So this is how they learn where things are kept in your home. This is how they remember where their favorite toy is. Or they remember, even if you told them, you know, no, 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 about the remote control, they know where you've hidden it. If you stuff it behind the pillow on the couch and they've seen you do that, they go right there because they remember that that's where that is. Uh, and they think about things like last time I wanted a drink, I walked into the kitchen and I got it out of this, my mom got it out of the refrigerator. And so again, look, oh, here it is again. So that's how they begin to develop uh, object permanence and that's how object permanence will serve them throughout the rest of their lives. So what's the very best way to assess this? And I'll show you this uh, when we do the toy demos, but really the best thing is just to cover up a toy that your child is interested in and see if the child will remove the blanket or the cloth or whatever you've used to find the toy. And that's basically what we're doing when we play peekaboo, right? We're covering up our faces and then we're saying, you know, where's mommy? Where's mommy? Where's mommy? Boo! 
Uh, and that's how ch children learn that. And we want them to know that an object exists even when we can't see it. So in typical development, babies really learn this skill on their own without lots of practice from their parents. And again, they're learning it like I just uh, gave you that example with peekaboo. But some toddlers with developmental delays may need practice with these kinds of concepts to really understand what they mean and master them for days or weeks. And we just have to know that and keep going. And so they, we have to help them and we have to help them practice to really master these skills. So object permanence, uh, like I said, will continue to develop through the next stage of play too, as with all these cognitive concepts. So don't think, oh, well, baby's mastering this at age 12 months and that's it. They always get more and more complex as, as babies uh, add more skills and, and uh, really, uh, again grow and mature so it's this is really why is object permanence how why is this related to language development what are these two separate entities no object permanence is so important because for language development because babies learn that i don't have to see something for it to still be real or exist and this is a step towards symbolism for the development of language or words. And remember, we talk about this in almost every show, but a child has to be symbolic or think symbolically. And what does that mean? That's holding that mental representation of that picture in their minds and then with language, linking that word with it. So again, the word there is the symbol. And we say over and over and over, these aren't really glasses. These are just what we call glasses, right? This is what we've agreed upon is our name uh, for this object. And that's glasses. That's a symbol. That word is a symbol to represent this object. And so that's what babies are learning here. The second cognitive concept is means to an end. And this is the one that I didn't really talk about before because I always lumped it with problem solving, but I think that we should probably pull it out. So that's what we're doing for this uh, project. So means to an end. What does that mean? That means uh, it's the intentional execution of a planned sequence of actions to achieve a goal. So for example, a child, let's, and again, let's take a baby who's chronologically in this age range. They are uh, maybe sitting or maybe even on their bellies on the floor and they see that a toy that they really, really want, they try to reach it, they can't get it, but they realize that it's, it's on top of a blanket. So what do they do? They pull the blanket, they start to realize, oh, I don't have to actually get over there and get that. It would be a lot more efficient for me. I can do it this way, to just reach out, grab it, and pull that toward me. We see it when a child plays with a strange toy, they start to pull it toward them. When they get more mobile and they can walk, they stand up and walk, and then what? They look behind them as they pull that toy. So that's what we mean by means to an end. This also might be something very basic, like you've been playing with them, and then you've gotten a little distracted and you've stopped, so a baby means to an end. He wants you to keep playing. He, he want, that, that is his end. He wants mom to play that again, again with him too. Uh, again, and so what might he do? He might reach out and touch his mom, and that means to an end. He does something so that he can get his goal. Uh, means to an end is actually very similar to the next two cognitive concepts, and sometimes we'll see these examples interchanged. So the next uh, concept here is cause and effect. 
And so what does cause and effect mean? It means that I can do something to get something. I can do something and I can make something else happen and that happened because I did the cause first. And so for example, with a toy, a child might learn, I push the button and then I see the lights or I push the button and then I hear this music play. Uh, I put the ball in the hole and then it rolls down the chute and I can watch it. So why is this important for the communication I develop? in a child. It means something like, I cry and my mom appears here to help me, or I sign more and I get more snack, whatever it is that my parents are trying to give me, or I, I say the word D for drink, and then voila, my dad gives me some milk. And so again, they learn I have to do something so that I can get something. And that really is one of the major reasons we all learn to communicate, right? It's for other people to understand what we mean, to share ideas, to make requests, to give commands. Same thing with the baby. And that's how this starts by, uh, and, and I want to be sure that I'm saying this, all of these all of these concepts that we're talking about for language development, they actually happen non-verbally first. So they happen within a concrete set of uh, circumstances or the environment like we're talking about with play and toys. Those would be the concrete things. And the abstract part of that's going to be what? The language development. And that comes after it. We always have to start with the concrete or the real things first. And so that's an important uh, point to think about. That's why we have to, why we're merging and have to think about kind of how these uh, skills develop and how interchangeable or, or uh, dependent is really the word that I'm trying to say, how dependent they are on these other cognitive concepts coming in first. All right, the fourth cognitive concept here is simple problem solving. So what is this? This is where babies try to figure out how things work and how to reach their own little goals in play. Uh, so will, will this smaller cup fit into this bigger cup? Will the bigger cup fit into the smaller cup? Uh, will my square block fit in the round hole in my shapes order. So this teaches the child to really become super intentional about his actions and then to try something else if the first one or two or three things doesn't work. And so it begins here in this stage and like I said before, all four of these concepts will continue throughout a child's life. We all spend our entire day solving problems, right? And so this is a big activity uh, that ha begins here in stage two, goes on into stage three of play. And again, that's something that you're probably doing even today with however old you are. So uh, this, let's talk about, we looked at cognition and how that's going along in play. Let's also talk about social development here, the social aspects of play. So in stage two, uh, we said back at stage one, do you remember what we said about it, how we characterized that? We said that stage one was unoccupied, meaning that the baby didn't really have always awareness of someone else when they're there with their own little, uh, the toy set out in front of them. There's no real agenda. They're just, they're just there. They're just there. Whatever happens, happens, right? And there are, there are intentional, purposeful movements that babies do at that point as they're exploring. But by that, we here here at stage two, let's just go ahead and contrast it here. Here, even though um, most of the play is solitary, they're playing without input from anyone else. Um, we but but we still know that that has matured and that's developed. And again, because of that intentionality or that purposefulness that we're seeing, even though the baby is not 
playing with toys exactly like we would want him to, meaning that if there's a hairbrush there, a baby in stage two is not going to pick up the hairbrush and start to brush uh, her hair with it. She's not there yet. That would be that next stage, the beginning functional play here. She's going to pick up the brush. In stage one, she might have mouthed the brush and held it, but here she might bang it on the floor. She might turn around and look at it a lot of different ways, flip it over, visually explore it again, put it in her mouth for a little while, uh, maybe pick it up and uh, again, uh, maybe even shake it a little bit. So she's not to the, I know what to do with this, but her actions are certainly more mature than they were before. All right, so we said here at stage two, most of a baby's play is solitary without input from anyone else. But we know what about language learning? We know that adult input is always required. Babies might be able to learn the cognitive things on their own, but not so with the language. They've got to actually hear words before they learn how to talk. So let's move on. We've looked at the play skills. Now let's move on and look at the language skills in stage two. Now let's look at the language skills for stage two. And again, follow along on your handout if you've already purchased that. So a big language skill here that we talked about a, a little bit back in stage one, but here at stage two, is that children uh, are able to demonstrate joint attention with a toy and with a person. And remember what we said about joint attention. That means that the child understands that you are both looking at and talking about the same thing. And so that if you point in, a, in the distance and say, look, a balloon, the child looks at the balloon and may look back at you as you are talking about it and then looks back at that balloon and then looks back at you. So again, you all, you, you both of you know and are fully participatory. You are sharing that. That's why it's joint attention. You're both paying attention to the same thing. Lots of times our little guys, especially our little guys who, who will go on to be diagnosed with autism, have lots of trouble with joint attention. They become radar focused on whatever it is that they're paying attention to. And as the adult, you are back there talking about it. And you, you may even think that, that, that they know that you're talking about it. And on some level they do. But unless they are looking at you and really including you in that, they don't have joint attention. And so it's a big diagnostic indicator for autism. And so it's certainly something that when we're seeing that that's not developing, even with a child who's under a year, we've really, really got to work on that. Okay, the second language skill here is shows and gives objects on request. And this is so key for language learning because again, if a child is not sharing your experience, like we just talked about in joint attention, if, if he can't shift and share his attention and then go on to uh, listen to you and again, give you you an object, take an object from you, that's the turn-taking piece, they're not going to uh, be developmentally ready to really take in auditorily and match it, what they're seeing visually, so that all those things, again, become connected and they learn what words mean and they start to really associate the word that they're hearing you say with whatever it is that they're seeing or doing on their own. And, and the showing and giving part of that, too, that's just bumped up reciprocity. Now, reciprocity, what does that mean? That means turn-taking back and forth and we think about that during interactions when children do it with uh, eye gaze so they're making and maintaining eye contact with you they're smiling at you but then we bump it up to that next part where they're actually giving you the objects that that they have that they want uh, you to participate with them or that you are they are receiving from you and so again that's just that next bumped up level of that reciprocity the next language skill is they exhibit communicative intent 
for requesting and regulatory commands. So what does this mean? That means even if they're not using words yet, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, you know, very few, some typically developing babies are using some words or beginning to in this stage, but most of the real communication here at this stage is going to be nonverbal and gestural. So that means they're going to communicate with their facial expressions with their body movements with things that but movements that we shape over time into communicative gestures that we all recognize like pointing or waving or clapping those kinds of things that we all agree with with what those nonverbal things mean uh, but again we're going to see a real bump up in uh, that communicative intent. So, and a lot of times too, uh, we see that and then they pair a vocalization with it. So they might grunt and reach, uh, 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 for something that they really, really want. Or when you are walking beside them and they want to get your attention, they may hold their arms up and, uh, you know, whine or something, uh, you know, so that you notice that they are communicating with you. And again, they're doing it non-verbally um, and are starting in this age range to pair vocalizations with that. Let's talk about receptive language development here. They understand familiar words, and how do we know that? Because they start to look at familiar objects and people when you name them. So when you start to talk about daddy, they start to look around like, where is he? I don't see him right here, but you're talking about him. Or let's say grandma has walked in, and uh, you say, oh, look, grandma's here. And, and they start to look for grandma and, and you know immediately find her. There might be 10 people there, but you start to say something about grandma, and they you know focus so that you know, oh, he's looking at that that thing or I I said bottle I said baba and he's looked right at it so that's how you know when uh, receptive language really starts to develop they also start to follow some really simple commands and questions occasionally uh, or understand questions occasionally in your everyday routine so when you're getting them dressed they're not just complete dead weight anymore <laughs> you can say put your arm in or little commands if they're holding their bottle or their pacifier and you want to get it or something else that they're holding you can say give it to me and they start to understand your handout and your words mean hey i'm going to take what i'm holding and put it in your hand even little uh questions like do you want milk you can see them start to again and respond to that you know favorably even if they're kicking their legs or leaning forward or even before they start to shake their heads yes for that you start to see some of that anticipatory behavior that lets you know that they're understanding uh, they even start to do some uh, follow some directions with early uh, gestures here like we said they start to really learn to wave bye-bye or do any other little trick like with a social game that you might have them do another important thing that they do here uh, with receptive language is by 12 months they point to two body parts on request so you've been talking to them and playing little games with them uh, with their body parts and now here in this 8 to 12 month period they start to really recognize so that you say where's your nose show mommy your nose and they uh, you know just point right there so two body uh, parts by this time a big thing that we talked about back in stage one that we want to be sure that we are working on so hard in stage two if a child is not doing this is responding to their names by looking at the adult calling their name so we always want to see that and again when we don't see that past 12 months that's a big marker for autism uh, so be sure as a therapist that you know that and you are routinely thinking about that with the children that you are working with we said that gestures develop here uh, so they begin to use very familiar gestures like waving pointing clapping or shaking shaking their heads no uh, they also 
also begin to imitate in response to some of these things too. So that's in everything that babies are learning. Remember, they don't just do it out of thin air. They've seen you do it. You're, they're copying you. So that's how we know that imitation has developed. And that's how learning to talk happens. It doesn't just happen. They don't just start to imitate words. They've imitated other things uh, along the way. Actions with toys, uh, fun little sound effects, which we'll get going uh, here at stage two. We'll start to hear those kinds of things a lot. And like we just talked about the gestures. So we want to see those developing too. We mentioned earlier uh, that children begin to participate in social games like peekaboo, patty cake, or how big is baby. So any of those really simple games. We talked about that a little bit back in stage one, and I referred you uh, to a podcast that's uh, number 403. I'll probably say that another time uh, in this show today, and that's how we get social games going. And that's those social games here developing at age 12 months, that should just be your primary one of your primary strategies as a speech language pathologist or a parent working on a child at home uh, on language with a child at home who's not talking is get teaching them how to do their little part in a social game because you're working on the receptive language piece with them understanding uh, the little game you're working on cognition they're remembering you know how, how the game goes or how the rhyme goes or what they're supposed to do as their little part of the game and then lastly uh, lots of times our children begin to talk during the context of these games so 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 important to get those games going now let's talk about talking here for stage two what are they doing they do begin to imitate in response to a request uh, to say familiar words like mama or bye-bye uh, those kinds of things so super super familiar first words they also uh, vocalize and babble but most of the vocalizations are not real words during this stage uh, words will begin to emerge with language tied to context and there may be words also associated with certain actions like completing a verbal routine so uh, usually here the child so bottom line what's the vocabulary of a baby here in this 8 to 12 month developmental period usually they may say mama or dada plus one to two other words so just a handful of words but we do want to see those skills uh, emerging and it's not all about the talking those other important pre-linguistic skills need to be coming in as well. All right, so let's move on now and talk about activities and strategies. So our primary purpose for stage two here is to help a child become more intentional during play. So for example, we want a child to stop mouthing toys as often and begin to use new simple actions and again, we want him to use it not on just one or two toys, across a variety of toys, like banging a toy on a surface, banging two toys together, patting toys, or even intentionally dropping or throwing toys. We also want a child to become really interested in how things work and how do we measure that with a child so young, you know, he's not going to walk up to you and say, you know, mother look at the dishwasher here how do i turn this on no here at stage two it's just going to be that they're concentrating on the moving pieces and that's even if they can't activate the toy on their own just yet so one of the things that we will do here to really get that going is point out the moving pieces in a toy or the buttons and show a child how to operate the toy another big activity or strategy that happens here at stage two is any kind of fill and dump or container activity that's just a 
favorite play routine for children here in this developmental period. So what should we do? We should provide various containers to hold those items and then uh, offer those. And then we should rotate the items to keep them uh, really fresh and exciting. So again, we're encouraging exploration here even at stage two. So if we can find a container even with some kind of lid that opens and closes, that makes it even better because there's more, what, more problem solving opportunities there. So another activity or strategy that we should be doing here at stage two uh, is we're really assessing where a child is with those four cognitive concepts that we mentioned before, object permanence, means to an end, cause and effect, and simple problem solving. And we introduce toys and play routines to strengthen those concepts. And when we see that a child is having difficulty with that, we are just uh, just all hands on deck with everybody uh, working on that cognitive skill. And again, that's to eventually support language development. So listen, those were kind of our activities and strategies for play, let's talk about now uh, the language aspect of, of these things. What activities and strategies can we pair with the skills that we just talked about in the previous section? So we need to remember what's the primary way that children learn language? They have to hear language, right? They have to hear the words. So they have to listen to a caregiver sing, read, talk during everyday routines, and certainly talk during playtime with toys. Here we said that children begin to understand familiar words, so it's important that they hear language all day, every day. And so instead of just blah blahing on about whatever we want to talk about, we should what? We should really be intentional about the language that we input to our children. So, so we should be talking about what a child is currently doing and paying attention to. Now the speech language pathology term for this is called linguistic mapping. So what does that mean? It means that whatever a child, again, whatever words he needs, he's kind of telling us with his nonverbal actions. So if he walks up to you with a sippy cup, you know what? You should be talking about what? The sippy cup. Oh, look, you have your cup. What's in your cup? Oh my goodness, is it empty? Oh, you want more, you need more. And so again, we get right to whatever their little um, intention is by bringing us that and then we put the words on there. So linguistic mapping, if they're walking up and pointing to a banana that they want on the counter, what should we say? We should be talking about the banana. Oh, there's a banana, you want the banana. Let mom get your banana and so again, Super, super strategy for making sure that we are talking about uh, just on the level and, uh, that a child is currently functioning and then talk about whatever words he needs at the moment. Other things that we're going to do here that we I mentioned just a minute ago is we need to be focusing on the kinds of vocalizations that happen before a child says words. So things like sound effects, so animal sounds, things like uh, exclamatory words like wow and wee and you know oh boy, you know those little phrases that we all say and why do we do that because those are novel and those little expressions, <clears throat> pardon me, really capture the attention of a child. So fun, fun way uh, to get language going. And sometimes parents forget about those words. We'll go in and do an assessment and say, how many words does the child have? And mom might say zero. But you hear him say five or six animal sounds, you know, before uh, before you've left. And so, or, or you start to hear him say little words like, uh-oh, or, you know, woo-wee, or something like that. And something that a parent really has not considered a word, but it definitely is a word because it's communicative and uh, a children 
we should give them credit for what they're trying to say. And so many of those little things, again, come in before single words come in. So that's what we need to do. All right, and so when we're talking to children in this stage of language development, we should always use single words and shorter phrases, and we talked about this last time, uh, keywords, the keyword concept. And sometimes we are not as focused on keywords, especially um, as parents, you might not think about it. You know, you're just talking because you know that your child uh, needs to hear language, and that is fantastic. But if we can become more intentional and more purposeful about the words that we're using, our late talkers are going to make better progress. So in addition to what we would normally say when we're talking to our children, we do need to use tons and tons of single words, especially to represent what they are currently paying attention to. Shorter phrases, and we need to put those keywords at the ends of phrases so that they are, uh, that's the last thing that children are hearing and they're really emphasized. We need to repeat our keywords often. And we talked about that last time in stage one and we're calling that high frequency repetition. I've got a new therapy manual coming out in uh, later this fall. And we're gonna, that's the key concept there is high frequency repetition. We've got to say it and say it and say it and say it and say it so that our uh, late talkers begin to say those words too. Another strategy uh, here that we wanna use for language development is use gestures all day long. And remember what we said about gestures? They emerge during this stage and gestures, uh, research tell us, precede words. So they usually come in right before a child starts to talk. And it's a really big developmental marker uh, for a language delay if a child is not using gestures by 12 months. So here by the end of this stage, or if you are working with an older toddler who you're listening to this and you say, gosh, that's really where this child that I'm working with is functioning, you've gotta be working on gestures because again, we know that that's the symbolism is developing. They're using the symbol for waving bye-bye to mean what you or I are leaving, right? And we've agreed upon the symbol and I know that's what this means and you know what this means. And we know, again, that's a that's what that, that concept or that kind of, that, um, that symbolism, that being able to use something to represent something else is what the cognitive component for learning to use language and understand what words mean. Another strategy that we want to use here all day, I've already been doing it here on the podcast just uh, because this is how we talk is we want to be sure that we are using gestures like we said all day long. So pointing to people, showing them objects and labeling them as we talk about them during the day. Another strategy that we mentioned that we pair with the language goal is if a child is not responding to his name, we have got to work on that. And so we call a child's name frequently and we know Notice if he looks back at us. Uh, a big strategy here, we talked about introducing those social games and we said the language component here that we're working on, particularly here with stage two, we worked a lot on the social aspect of that, really interacting and connecting and engaging in stage one. Here at stage two, we bump it up. We want children really doing the hand motions or imitating the hand motions. And remember what I've already said a lot, kids just don't start naturally imitating words until they've imitated other things first. So they've got to imitate actions with toys that we're gonna be talking about through the rest of this course and certainly body movement. So hand motions with songs and social games are the best way to get that going. And then lastly, our big cueing here for language as we play, as we're showing a child how to use a toy, we want to encourage imitation. Again, like we said, with that nonverbal part first, 
what do I do with this toy? We're going to use our tell him, show him, help him cues. So tell him, that's the verbal part. We're going to tell him, you know, what to do if he's playing with a toy. Let's say that we're using nesting cups and we want him to stack those. You know, we're going to say, you know, up, up, up as he's stacking those cups. If he's not doing that, we would show him, oh, look, look, watch mommy, watch me. And we stack the cups. And then if he doesn't begin to do that, we should help him which means what take his little hands and help him stack the cup so that's the best way for cueing language all right so let's talk about toys here remember what we said about this stage what was the title for stage two it's non-functional play so functional play would mean that a child is doing what we expect him to do with the toy or the object we are not there yet <laughs> we're not at real playing yet so for toys we're continuing to use a lot of the same materials that we talked about in stage one so toys that stimulate exploratory play so that would be to facilitate a child's ability to take in information using all his senses so remember we talked about toys that they can see toys they can hear toys they can feel and hold and grasp with their hands toys that are safe for uh, mouthing because as we said we know that's a predominant activity here at stage two although we want them to do it a little bit less and we gauge that by how how what else they're doing with the object what else is he doing how much more is he doing with that toy than he was previously when mouthing was the predominant um, way that they explored check out show 466 which is stage one if you need more guidance for those kinds of toys but i'm going to show you my favorite picks coming up for stage two so here's how we train parents for stage two how to play and what to say and this is actually page two of your handout if you're following along so i want to briefly remind you of the other primary activities that we talked about back in stage one other than playing with toys that evidence shows us is really helpful for teaching language for uh, babies and toddlers here in this stage. So we reviewed these strategies heavily in stage one, that show 466. So go back and watch that for a full discussion. And you wanna keep that going here. And so what were those things? Singing, playing social games, and reading books. Now I included those things here on the handout for stage two. But I'm going to spend the rest of our time today in this course specifically talking about playing with toys because that's what this podcast series is about, right, with stages of play. Uh, so if you need more help with the other things that I've recommended here, singing, playing social games, and reading books, I'm going to direct you to my therapy manual that's so suited for helping you level up your own game here and get those kinds of things going with children so it's teach me to play with you it includes step-by-step -step goals for all of those little uh, early social games that we mentioned and if you were a therapist kind of struggling with I don't know how to teach this I don't know how to document this I don't know how to break these little games down into teeny tiny measurable goals that book will help you so get your hands on that and so by the end of this stage we said children should be participating in several social games so if you were working with a two-year-old on your caseload who's still back at this uh, under this 12-month developmental level because they don't have a ton of words stop working on words <laughs> you've got to get some other things going first and so teach me to play with you will really really 
help you get that started. So pick some games, get started with those today. I've got a ton of information about that back in podcast 403 if you want more information about that. But let's move on to talk about playing with toys. Now, remember what we said about stage one. Children are using all of their senses to explore toys. So here in stage two, we're going to continue that because the kids aren't way ahead of that yet. They're just a smidge above where they were in stage one. So good toys for this developmental age continue to be toys that are super easy to manipulate. So, And the the real reason that is, you know, again, we want that sensory exploration uh, to continue as children take in more um, input from their environments and, again, begin to make more associations about the world. But here at stage two, we want to teach children to become more intentional with the objects that they're using during play. And remember, this is on the way to stage three when they really, really begin to use toys. So there's still a little developmental gap here. And so instead of just picking up a block and it going straight to their mouth, we want a toddler to begin to use some new actions like banging the block on the floor or banging the block, you know, on a book that's there, just doing something different with that block beyond it going in their mouth or holding it. And so instead of just grasping or looking at a ball, maybe they can shake the ball. Maybe they can drop the ball in the container that you're using for container play. It will not be as purposeful as stage three when kids do begin to use toys uh, the way that they're intended but here at stage two we see a lot of new things happening and remember we said a primary thing is that kids start to focus on the moving pieces of the toy so that's a first step of learning to play intentionally and that's going to happen in stage three but here in stage two they're just developing the interest and the motivation and the try piece we can see them trying a little harder even if it's very very basic they are laying the groundwork and the next kind of activity that we said that happens here with playing with toys a big one is uh, a big concept is in and out or fill and dump so during this stage of play we start to see not only the exploration of the items that we have gathered uh, and put in a container like we talked about back in stage one show 466 now they're also dumping the container out because they really like that uh, that whole routine of dump everything out set the container back up and let me put everything back in here one at a time and then what do they do after they're finished they dump it out again and start all over and so we talked about the kinds of toys used during container play back in the last show but we're going to continue that even today um, so because we want babies again to get really enthralled with this and we know that uh, we want to give them new things to explore all the time so in their quest and in their fascination with putting things in and dumping things out we want to continue to provide them different uh, options for that so this is a favorite activity throughout toddlerhood and this is one thing I want to be sure that I'm mentioning to therapists when you are working with a child and you are at a loss with how to play with them and it seems like they're not really doing very much with a toy just stop and really get container play and focus on that and so uh and and i don't mean that you're going to have them just sit down and and you know attend to one toy after another i mean do the fill and dump part so if you can't get a kid engaged with anything that you're doing grab yourself a bowl a bucket a pot from the kitchen and just start to put a lot of toys in and then dump it out kids almost always will come back to you and want to engage with you and stay with you and again that may be how you build Uh, some real attention and some real participation at the beginning with kids who were super, super difficult to engage with toys. And then remember here with playing with toys, we're going to work on those four cognitive concepts. So we need to make sure that the toys that we're using incorporate the opportunity to get that kind of learning going. 
Thankfully, it's pretty easy to work those concepts into most early toys if we are deliberate about what we're looking for and, and what we're teaching in this uh, stage of play. Now, there are two more points that we need to introduce and review with parents many, many times as we target play and language, and I want to be sure that I'm repeating them here, and I'll probably continue to repeat them throughout every show in this series because it's that important. Uh, for play, what did we talk about last time and in, even in the introductory show to this series? What is the most evidence-based supported method of teaching play to a toddler? It's to model the play, so adult modeling, meaning that we will show them what the toy is for. And then remember we said, how do we cue? What are the very best cues for a child here uh, with language as we're working through toddlerhood? It's always moving from the least restrictive cue or uh, however you want to think about you know method or amount of assistance that they're getting to the most restrictive. So many we're, uh, we uh, and we can use that tagline that we've been saying you know tell him show him help him. So first we're going to tell him what he should do. Then we're going to show him with our visual cues. We're going to point and then that's where that adult modeling comes in. And then last, if he can't play by himself, we're going to help him. We're going to use hand over hand assistance or hand under hand assistance, whatever we have to do to get those little hands on that toy and begin to operate it. So help parents remember that continuum, the tell him, show him, help him, and you'll get, uh, they'll, you'll just, you'll see some real improvements again with their child because parents are applying how uh, science has taught us that it would be the best way to teach these skills. Now for language, again, I'm going to just repeat myself over and over through the podcast series so that you remember this. The only way babies learn what words mean and then to be able to talk is what? It's by hearing those same keywords over and over and over. And so we talked about in this series that we are going to be super intentional about choosing target words or picking one or two keywords per toy or per activity. And we're going to repeat those many, many, many times as we play. And so examples are going to be listed for each of the toys that we talk about. And again, this is directly on your handout so that if you want to go back and you're watching right now or listening on your podcast app, you can get the handout later and have the visual or the written version of this to help you remember it. All right. So now we're finally at the point that I'm going to show you the recommended toys for stage two and really talk about them. We are going to focus on the toys that give us the most bang for our buck as we teach the four cognitive concepts that children are learning here at this stage of play. And like we did in the previous shows, remember we said this is not only how to play, but what to say. We're going to merge that with some early uh, scripts so that we talk about keywords. Uh, and I'm going to give you examples of scripts to get you started. So let's get ready and take a look. Object permanence is our first cognitive concept, and this is just the very best toy I've ever found <laughs> to be able to work on this with children. This is a Montessori ball box, uh, and again, it's specifically designed to teach object permanence. There's a hole right here in the top so that a baby just drops the ball in the hole, and then immediately he sees that it's come out. The His vision is obscured for just a blink. Uh, but he sees that the ball is there. And again, lots of babies in this age range at the beginning 
beginning are not going to be able to, act, to operate this toy or do this by themselves. So you will have to model it a lot of times. Let's talk about your keyword. What do you think your keyword is going to be right here? It's ball, right? And so uh, you're going to repeat the word ball many, many times. Remember, we talked about high frequency modeling. So that doesn't mean that you just say ball once or twice. You've got to use it over and over. So I would probably say something like when I'm playing with this toy, oh, look, here's your ball. Look at the ball. See the ball? Oh, look, there's the hole. We have to put ball in. Here goes ball. Ball in. Yay, ball. And so that's what we do. And I didn't count how many times I said ball there, but it was probably what, seven, eight, something like that. That's the kind of high frequency modeling that we've got to do with our keywords. And as a therapist, you know that. And I hope that you do it because you know it, but parents do not understand how repetitive they have to be. So talk about that concept with them. The, the rule that we're using, the evidence-based rule or the time, the number that we would use with this, uh, the goal is nine times a minute. Now, I did that a little faster here for the example's sake, but think about how often that is that kids are hearing that keyword. Uh, so be sure that you're talking with parents about that, and that is a big focus here throughout the remaining things that we're going to talk about uh, in stage two. Now, we're still talking about object permanence in a very traditional time-tested way to teach object permanence is just to cover up a toy with a blanket right in front of a child to see if he will uncover it. So a soft baby doll is always a good choice for this activity and it's a recommended toy not only in stage one but for stage two. So you start with the baby or the toy or whatever you want to use here and you just simply cover it up and see if the baby can uncover it. And you can talk and again you can you can use your keyword here and talk about baby you know oh there's the baby. See the baby? Oh, we're going to hide that baby. Watch, watch. Oh, oh, where's baby? Where'd the baby go? Baby, baby. And then we model um, uncovering the baby. And again, I did that way too fast. I'm doing that just for the sake of showing you that here. But our big concept here was object permanence. And so we want a child, again, to begin to take the cover off. Let me teach you a trick. If they aren't getting it with a, a thicker cloth, use something that they can see through. And I found this little scarf that was back in one of the recommended toys for stage one with the tissue box. So that's a great uh, way to do it there. So just they can still see the babies there. And our, our goal is for the child to uncover and for you to start to see some recognition that he realizes, ah, you know, that's what I found. Now, if a child still can't uncover the object that you've hidden, make it a little easier for him. Use an electronic toy that's going to produce a sound or a light, something he could see so that they can hear it or see it under the blanket. Now, as a rule, I do not use a lot of electronic toys for therapy, and we talked about that last time because sometimes the electronic toy can actually distract a toddler or maybe even prohibit a toddler from learning because they get stuck on one motor action or they just you know and it's always what pushing the button and hearing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and we really want a child here especially in stage two to develop variety but again some of our little guys with significant uh, developmental issues might need more of a cue and so when we un when we uh, cover an electronic toy <laughs> they're still able to hear it and see it under the cover and that's going to be a little bit more motivating and again they've got that additional cue uh, i don't talk about electronic toys uh oh i don't this one's an old one i've probably had it for 
gosh, close to 10 years, eight or nine years, I know. Uh, but there's some electronic toys that work really well uh, for teaching the cognitive concepts, and I'm going to link them, even though we're not going to talk about them a lot here in the show, because I don't want you to become uh, overly dependent on that. But when you're choosing electronic toys, particularly for children who really need that extra input, look for ease of operation as one of your uh, deciding factors for deciding if you're going to uh, pick that toy or not. The music's great, the lights are great, but the real thing here, especially when we're thinking about play skills, is how easy is it for a child to activate the toy. And so good ones are those that just take just barely, uh, barely anything, uh, any kind of motion or any kind of strength there. So look for that. Lots of times children will activate these toys in stage two by accident. <laughs> and so, again, that's what you're going to look for. Over time, when they do it enough, they'll start to link meaning. And, and again, when they've done that, they're developing, like we said, we're working on object permanence, also cause and effect. So there, there's some great bye, ones. Bye. Uh, but be sure that you are uh, being cautious about which ones that you buy. Means to an end is the second cognitive concept that we want to talk about. And I found this darling caterpillar string toy. This is a new toy for me. And it's a great example of means to an end. Any kind of string toy is really going to be your best or one of your best options here. And I've listed several of those in the recommended toys. Uh, but I love this one. And remember our concept of means of an end. Remember what we said it, it what that, how we define it is that a child learns that I'm going to do something to reach my little goal. So here it would be pulling the string. And for our little friends that are beyond uh, this, this stage uh, chronologically, they're probably already walking. And so this will be a super activity uh, for them to use with this. And so what are you going to, uh, what, what would you choose for your target word here, your keyword? I would go with go, <laughs> you know, as in ready, set, go when a child is pulling the string or something like pull. You can certainly talk about caterpillar if you want to, but that's not an early developing word. And remember, one of the things that we should be thinking about when we're choosing our keywords is, is this a word that a child will actually be able to say? And is this a, a word a child would actually be able to use? And so here, when we're thinking about, about a child in this developmental period, not sure caterpillar would be a good choice. So something like pull or go that represents the action that you're teaching them with play. Um, over time, again, it would make more sense to talk about um, the noun here, but, but not so much. You can do that over time. Okay, another reason I love this toy is because it, it has a shape sorter, and there are two levels of difficulty with the shape sorter. This first one is like the early shape sorter that we talked about back in stage one. It's where kids are first starting to learn to manipulate toys. And so there's just a string. And so the little shapes that are here, the, the baby just has to get the toy, you know, on either side of the string. And then in the next developmental period, we can flip it over and use it for stage three when we really have the circle, the triangle, and the square. So super toy. Uh, and I wanted to show it to you today. Our next cognitive concept is cause and effect. So I want to show you several toys that we can use to teach cause and effect. And again, we're not just going for the easiest one. We want to look for lots of variety because that really gets a child ready to move from stage two to stage three. So a big part here at stage two is learning that toys move. They can do different things. But again, remember what we said about stage two. The child may not necessarily be able to do it 
completely on his own yet, but he will get there. The first toy that we want to talk about is just this uh, new kind of toy, and I bet that you've seen it, these spinner toys. You can find lots and lots of versions of these toys. I like these. There's um, a, a caterpillar on this one or a snail, but I love the bumblebee here. You can talk about the bumblebee because remember what we said, we want to do some uh, uh vocalizations that come before words so some sound effect words so certainly with your bumblebee you know bzzz, you know and you can sing the song baby bumblebee you can do some other things like that to really uh, kind of use uh double time here we're focused on our little language routines plus the play routine with learning how to spin so super easy to activate this is a fun toy uh, for parents to use in the bathtub because the suction cup on the back um, I like to put them on the door when a child, a glass door, if I'm uh, working with a child in a home too. So great, great choice for cause and effect. It's not the pushing that we would normally get, but it is an easy, easy uh, action for a child to use. The next toys are these cute push cars that I just found and I love them. They are so easy to activate, super colorful. So I think they'll really grab a baby or a toddler's attention. And like you, uh, like I'm gonna show you here, you just push and it rolls. I hope that you can see that, but super, super easy uh, for a baby to begin to activate uh, here for stage two play. Our keyword here is probably what? It's probably car. So remember we said that we want to repeat the word car over and over. Uh, and we also could use maybe our animal sounds for uh, our target words here too. But for car, we would say something like, you know, look, my car. See the car? Look at my car. Let's watch the car go. You ready? We have to push, watch push ready set go and so we're going to use some little verbal routines ready set go one two three any kind of little starter routine that you want to do but be super consistent uh, I hope that you heard me there and kind of watched me there. You want to create anticipa anticipation with your face and with your voice. So be sure that you're using that too. Uh, when you're using a verbal routine like Ready, Set, Go, you'll have to say it over and over and over and over. But if your child has gotten to be pretty verbal, and particularly toward the end of this stage when children are developmentally closer to 12 months, you're going to want to start to pause to see if they will surprise you and just uh, fill in that space that you created there with your pause. So if you've used something like ready, set, you know, do the little pregnant pause there to see if a child will begin to fill in that word in verbal routines. Verbal routines are so important for teaching a child how to talk. And so that's one of the things that we want to emphasize throughout the whole uh, all the th all the toy activities and strategies that we're using here is just how important verbal routines are. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I've given you the scripts or the sample things because we want to be consistent. We want to say the same words over and over and over because that provides a child an opportunity to not only hear those words and begin to associate meaning with those words, but then begin to use those words on his own. And when we are consistent, uh, we're providing the very best opportunity for a child to learn a word. So this is a super toy and you can find the link right here below. The next toy to teach cause and effect is this spinning top. Now I like this one from Bright Starts because it is so easy to activate and I also like it because there are 
different settings for the lights and the music, but you don't have to have all that going all the time. <laughs> so you can just focus on teaching the child the action with the object. Now, as far as the keyword goes, I would probably use push here uh, because you are, not push here, but push, <laughs> because you are teaching that action. So I would probably say something like, you know, oh, look, watch, watch me, push. I push, push, Laura can push. And really, like we said about our keywords, be super repetitive with that. And then this is a fantastic toy for working on turn taking, meaning you're gonna do it and then you're gonna give the child an opportunity to do it. And then you will take it back and do a quick, super fast turn. And be sure that when we're working on turn taking with a child that we are keeping our first turns like that super, super quick so that we are not frustrating a child and then and then almost penalizing him for becoming frustrated when we haven't uh, met him where he is developmentally and kept those turns really short and really quick. So great toy for teaching turn taking. And let me say one more thing about that. Um, I, I don't know if you probably noticed during that, but let's, let's talk about telegraphic speech. So I was saying I push, and then a lot of times we'll hear a therapist say something like Laura push. You know, that's not grammatically correct. And so research has told us that we need to keep our uh, utterances with children simple and short, but we also need to pay attention to that early syntax or that early grammar. And so be sure that you're doing that and paying attention to that. And it's not necessarily wrong if you use grammatically uh, incorrect uh, modeling with the child, certainly at this earliest stage of language learning, but gr using grammatically correct phrases are best practice for early intervention and early language learners. Simple problem solving is the last cognitive concept that we're gonna talk about here in stage two. Now for this category, we start to think about toys like shape sorters, like puzzles, like nesting sets, like nesting blocks, and all the other kind of cognitive concepts uh, for here at problem solving, they continue to become more complex as children grow and mature. So here for simple problem solving, we really mean simple <laughs> problem solving, right? So a good example uh, of this would be a really basic nesting cup set. So it's a super versatile classic toy. Kids are learning here at stage two and stage three how things fit and how they work together and they're also remember what we said one of the primary activities is a beginning fill and dump meaning i'm going to put something in and i'm going to dump it out so there are several uh, different play routines that you can use with a set of nesting cups or blocks or any similar toy to this of course you can have a child stack them and so what we, you would say for this play routine is what probably up, up, up as the child is stacking them. Knocking things down becomes a really favorite activity for children here at stage two, but really as they move on into stage three, uh, being able to build something and then knock it down is just super uh, engaging for a toddler. They wanna do it again and again and again. And because of that, you want to develop some consistent verbal routines that we like we just talked about back in the previous uh, section with another toy. And so we wanna say the same 
things over and over and over. So when you're stacking, you know, up, up, up would be a great thing to say. And then do something before you knock it down because they are getting excited about it. And so, again, it's a great opportunity to teach language because they're so engaged with their attention. And so you might do something like, you know, oh, uh, you know, as we're getting ready to knock it down, you know, one, two, three, boom, as you knock it down. Or uh, something like they all fall down you know and that's a little line from ring around the Rosie. so you could kind of pair that together you know so they're hearing that in different contexts uh, nesting cups are also a great opportunity for water play and so parents will do this at bath time or in the baby pool therapist your best bet for water play is probably a rubbermaid plastic container i've done this for years but nesting cups are a great uh, kind of early way to get water play going my key word when i'm doing water play is always wee you know but you probably say something you know first you can do a fill and dump routine you know where you're you know get some water and whee or whatever but you uh, you know uh, that whee is your keyword there and kids love that this is a super super fun routine to get going and just like in stage one we're going to keep container play going here in stage two so here for container play we are going to encourage a toddler to continue to explore with all his senses and learn to understand new words and begin to imitate uh, familiar actions with toys and that's what we've really been talking about um, throughout stage two so how do we do container play last time I think I showed you a clear container with a lid on it but this is probably uh, the most um, a familiar choice that we have for container play is just getting a big bowl or a pan or something you know, if you're a mom at home and then just gathering different objects for your toddler to explore so I want to show you some different things that I uh, picked uh, to use for container play that are just a little bump up from what we did for stage one and so our big thing here is that um, we're going to show the baby the item I usually try to use a little formula so that we remember to be consistent I usually always say something like look it's a book and so again that kind of creates anticipation when we use those verbal routines and kids hear the same thing over and over so let's look and see what we have in our container today I love this Montessori wooden uh, rattle set and it's from Amazon and you can see the links below and remember what we said that we were going to do is include different toys that help a child explore with different senses so here we have a bell you know something that a child can hold and certainly listen to and this is a great little rattle because it will roll across the floor and remember another thing we said back in stage one is that anytime we can encourage uh, mobility and a child being able to move on his or her own to a different section of the home he's naturally going to be doing what he's uh in just new opportunity new opportunities for cognitive development because he's got different things to explore so we've got our bell right there uh, a car comes with this set and this would be something with moving parts and remember that we said that we are directing a child's attention in stage two to the moving parts in anticipation for stage three when they're really able to operate a variety of toys on their own so here for car you would say something like you know oh look it's a car 
Wow, car, oh look, look at the wheels, the wheels go. It doesn't spin that great, but you can, you know, push it on the floor, roll it. And remember here, the other thing we said that we are trying to facilitate is early imitation so that a child is copying the motor movement, meaning that when you push the car and you show him how to roll the car, over time, he begins to push and roll the car too. Uh, I like the other rattles in this set, you know, more traditional wooden rattle. And certainly kids, again, are going to hear different uh, sounds, and that really stimulates their ability to listen. And I love uh, the discs that come with this set because they're practicing transfer from hand to hand, which is another really important concept that we uh, want children mastering here at this stage. So this little Montessori rattle set, you'll get a lot of bang for your buck out of this set. Our next toy to explore is this vibrating teether. And again, it's giving a, a child another method of input when they bite on the grapes. And you might, for target word, you might say, you might use the word grapes, you, you know, and call it whatever the vibrator is. I used to uh, give children the star vibrator. I think it's from... Um, I'm not sure who made it. It might be a sassy toy, but I gave that to lots of children for a long time who were in this stage, and, you know, we talk about the star. So here, you might talk about the grapes, but again, the big thing is that it moves. You know, ooh, ooh, do you feel that? Ooh, it's moving. Wow. You know, and just use your exclamatory words and your heightened affect to really help a child uh, understand and explore the vibrating toy. Now, the next one, I love this super cute goodnight moon cloth book it's a great um, book for just letting a child explore and again you can hear the crinkle pages with it so we've got the auditory uh, sense going we've got some tactile exploration we've got some cause and effect because there's a squeaky part of it and certainly a lot to talk about uh, much of the uh, original content is here just in this uh, little book uh, with the different objects. So I thought this was a great option uh, for container play. Uh, this next toy is a super cool toy. It's kind of a newer toy, but it's a teether. And there are these sections that a child can pull and then certainly explore with his mouth and the, the little popping uh, part here. So you've got a popper part uh, here on this toy as well and that's been fantastic for me for helping a child learn to isolate his index finger and begin to point so super super way to use that now the last toy that i wanted in this container <laughs> but i forgot it is the soft baby doll and we talked about this for teaching object permanence but here, the big thing that we can do uh, with any of these toys, but the baby doll lends itself so well to it, is by focusing on how to teach uh, different motor movements and imitation. So with the baby doll, what are some things you could do? So a simple thing would be maybe patting the baby doll. And again, when you do this, you want to model patting and you uh, make up your own little verbal routine and just say your keyword over and over and over. You might, you know, just say, pat, 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 pat. You know, after you say, oh, let's pat the baby Baby, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pat. Pat, 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 pat. And so many kids, you know, that's that's the first hint 
of imitation that I see with them. So super toy for that. What are some other things you could do? You could hug the baby. You can kiss the baby. And again, a kiss for a child at this age is just going to be you know, bringing the baby doll to their mouths. So great way to get it going. I also want to talk about what we've been saying verbal routines a lot in this show. Uh, and, and a verbal routine, remember, is just when you say the same things at the same time you know when you play with the same toy so a great little routine here would be the night night game and so I like this game for this stage too because we're also incorporating early gestures so using a toy like a baby doll uh, you know and again you're modeling this the child is not really ready to pretend or anything like that we're just we're just getting the verbal routine going and, and really again prepping for stage three so that they learn to use uh, familiar toys appropriately and then we're going to get to pretending after that but with the baby doll you know we're gonna say oh let's play night night baby's ready to go to sleep are you ready oh baby let's go to sleep Shh. and then maybe you could say pat 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 and have them pat the baby oh the baby's sleeping Shh. you know and you might snore or something right there you know to do the sleeping part but then the fun part for toddlers is you're going to wake the baby up so you say oh it's time to wake up the baby it's time to wake baby up are you ready one two three wake up wake up wake up baby you know and again you are making something fun a little routine here for the baby but you've got your sequence you know you're doing the same thing every time you're saying the baby's going to go to sleep you're using the gesture with shh you're having them pat the baby on the back to imitate an action there and then you're doing your little verbal routine with wake up after you play this for a while, a child is really going to start trying to make a lot of different objects go to sleep, even if it doesn't make sense. They think it's hysterical because they like the whole wake up. So get that little game going. It is always a winner. Now let's talk about moving on to stage three. What are your readiness signals? Now there are fine lines here between stage one, stage two, and stage three, right? That we've talked about in stage one, the child is holding objects, mouthing objects, dropping objects. In stage two, it gets more purposeful. He begins to do a lot more simple actions. He can pat, he can turn, he can bang things together, but it's still really non-functional and then forth stage three what we look for to tell us that a child is ready to move on to those kinds of things is that he starts to use some of these toys appropriately and you don't just see it one time you see a lot more consistency and the other thing that i use as my indicator that they're really able to move on to stage three is that they just really start to imitate and so you see them copying you not necessarily the words that you're saying or the sounds that you're using but certainly during play so that when you show them how to push a button they are immediately pushing a button when you show them how to stack cups they try to stack cups or certainly when you show them how to knock the cups down they are knocking the cups down and you start to see that again that if they're shaking a ball or shaking a block or shaking a rattle you know that's three different examples of how they've used that one new motor action across several different toys so that's how you'll know uh, with the Montessori ball box that we said with the object permanence toy they're just putting the little ball in the hole and, and you see them watching like they're waiting for the ball to come out so that's when you know with the baby doll you see them patting it when you've modeled that or that that you've you've given the baby a kiss and then they put the baby doll up to their mouth with the electronic keyboard or any little electronic toy that you've had to introduce it's not an accident anymore you can see that they are purposefully operating that toy they know even if they're 
smacking their whole little hand down there, you know that that's intentional and purposeful. So how do you get a child there? It's just repetition. It's showing them over and over what to do. Exposure, providing that opportunity for them to doing it, do it. And then lastly, it's repeating. That repetition is so, so, so important. So that's how we get them there. All right, if you want more ideas about how to work with children here in this stage of play, remember I showed you my best uh, set of materials here, my best therapy manual choice is going to be uh, Teach Me to Play With You because you have all those social games and the goals and the steps outlined for you right there along with the words and the hand motions if you need those. And then the other therapy manual I really want to recommend is Let's Talk About Talking. And in this manual, it gives you instructions for all the pre-linguistic skills that toddlers master before words emerge. So the skills that we talked about like turn-taking, like joint attention, uh, those cognitive concepts. There's a whole chapter on teaching play and early play here and Let's Talk About Talking. So those are great resources if you need additional ideas to help get play and language going for any child who is developmentally in that age range. All right, that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining me for this course. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and you've just participated in Teach Me to Talk's podcast.